Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Technical difficulties are nothing. We conquer almost everything around here, and sooner or later, if it's a problem, we find a way to solve it. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show, folks. No matter what the gremlins throw at us, we seem to be able to overcome it. All right, for all of you out there in um, Cyberland, the numbers you can reach us at tonight are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Uh, you can also join us on Facebook Live. Uh, I try to keep uh, ta- on top of the messages that come in there and try to comment on them as much as, as best I can. There's plenty of meat on the table for uh, your consumption this evening, that's for sure. Um, one of the most important things that is out there at the moment that is demanding a lot of time, unfortunately, is the um, situation with, um, uh, come on, that little uh, little maniac from um, from North Korea, I call him the little um, <laughs> the little grease ball, uh, and of course I'm referring to Kim Jong Un, the leader of uh, North Korea. Um, it's just this guy is dangerous. To say it, put it mildly, he is really dangerous. Now, I've been doing a lot of following of what's going on in North Korea over the last little while, and there's been a all kinds of wild speculation about, uh, you know, what might happen. Well, the first thing to keep in mind is nobody knows what will happen. That's the whole point. You just don't know. If you knew, then you could set up something different to go with that. And that to, to you know, how do I put it? You could develop a strategy. But the UN uh, Security Council... Uh, Security Council, the one that deals with sanctions. Yeah, I guess that would be the Security Council. Have leveled a level of, have uh, put in place a level of sanctions against North Korea that I don't think any other country's ever been put under. They can't sell their coal. They can't sell their their other minerals. They can't sell their energy. They can't sell anything. They have been basically cut off from the rest of the world in order to try to get, in a last-ditch attempt, um, to bring North Korea to heel. Now the tragedy is there doesn't seem um, there doesn't seem to be anything you can do that brings that, that gets this little guy's attention. 
He lives in a fairy tale world. Now, I noticed on somebody's Facebook page tonight the idea of, well, why don't we just, you know, why hasn't the West just dropped in uh, the old-fashioned sniper and take him out? I mean, you know, it would save everybody a lot of grief. <sighs> That's a lot easier than said than done. Um, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, and I'm no expert just based on the different reading I've done and, and these kinds of things. Imagine yourself, you're going into, if you, let's say somebody want to pursue that, that particular course of action because it would be the least painful of all the, of all the options, right? To take a sniper, one shot, get it over with, he's gone. But the consequences of doing that, never mind the logistics of getting the sniper in and what his chances of survival are and what kind of suicidal, suicidal lunatic you'd have to be, excuse me, to want to do that. Uh, okay, set that all aside. Okay, let's say he goes in and he accomplishes the job. First of all, how do you get the sniper team out without, you know, basically, because North Korea is one of the most militarized cultures on earth. And they have a standing army of about one and a half million, maybe even more than that, plus another million people in reserve. Okay, so these people, uh, this government, uh, this dictator, has so militarized his people that it's just ridiculous it, it's uh, everybody's calls you know the united states an armed camp go to north korea okay everybody's either in the army or is going to be if things get ugly so if you're if you're a combat team dropped in there to take this guy out you now have just knocked over the proverbial hornet's nest so there's that issue but what happens in north korea if kim jong-un is actually executed in you know in that fashion by everybody else. Who cares? I don't think there's. He has no friends in the world, so you can't just say it's it's uh, you know the um, it's just the Americans that are that are worried about this guy. Everybody's worried about this guy. Now you've created a power vacuum. You think it's unstable. Now imagine what would happen. All right, so. Why don't we have a conventional war? First of all, I hate the thought of even talking like this, but if, if one of the things that has stayed the hand of the West in this case and put up with the, all the shenanigans that this little greaseball and his father have been play, plaguing the world with for the last 50 years is the fact that the people of North Korea are so um, malnourished, poorly educated, uh, you know, behind the times... Uh, that if we were to win, we would lose. And here's what I mean by that. First of all, let's say, as an example, they launch a conventional war. The whole thing lasts two weeks just because there's so many targets to shoot at. Okay, There's no doubt the West would win. The problem is, by winning, you now have knocked down the barrier between the North and the South. And there's millions of people in North Korea who are if they're not starving, are on starvation-style diets, uh, you know, they're, they're, you all of a sudden have this massive flood of people who need everything, absolutely everything, heading south where all the prosperity is. Now, how do we know this is going to happen? Is because that's exactly what happened when the Berlin Wall fell between East and West Germany. They had a heck of a time. It would be like what happened in Germany, times 10 on steroids. Millions of people pour over the border from North Korea to South Korea to reunite with families, and who could blame them for wanting to do that? You you also have massive problems with med medical assistance. 
nutritional needs, uh, you know, housing, all this kind of stuff, because they're not going to stay in North Korea. Why would you? I mean, if you look over the border and there's this gleaming city of gold almost, uh, you know, just a few miles away in Seoul, and you look at your little mud hut, right, and the bicycle you've been riding for 40 years, all of a sudden the south side of the border looks pretty good. So, boom, away you go. So that's why by winning a conventional war, we lose. And that has stayed the hand of the West for a long time. Now, so what other options are there? Well, you could use a B-1 bomber. Uh, They are so so advanced that there's nothing that North Koreans have, either in aircraft or missile defense or radar, that could detect this thing, and they could do a world of hurt. See, the only real threat that this little grease ball poses to the rest of the world is through the intercontinental ballistic missile threat. Because if he's launching missiles at the United States and by virtue of inaccuracy, Canada, because he doesn't care about us one way or the other, um, so if he fires a missile at Seattle and it lands in downtown Vancouver, what does he care? You know, uh, The point I'm making is that that's the only credible threat he has. So a strike against the infrastructure that it takes to launch something like that could at least delay or take away that threat in the short term until we figure out a better way to deal with this guy. Because you can't have some little maniac like that run around throwing missiles around, especially tipped with nuclear nuclear warheads. Now, there is at least in theory another threat that he might try to employ because reality has no bearing on this guy. He has about 20 what they call Romeo-class um, submarines that were built in the mid mid to late 60s. So all the technology that was originally put in them was from the 1950s. Okay, 1950s, early 1960s. And there are they they are uh, he has about 20 of them. They have about a 9,000 mile range, so they could go from Mayang Do, which is I think his his westernmost uh, submarine base, the most important one. Uh, if he wanted to attack San Diego, as an example, uh, then he. Theoretically, at least, he, those submarines have the range to reach it. It's the only ones he has that does. And the, the theory is he could easily put a nuclear warhead on a torpedo. And all you have to do is fire it into San Francisco Bay. And now you've got uh, the damage from the blast itself. You'd have a, a localized tsunami, uh, the nuclear fallout. You, you can imagine the, the effects. The reality is, of those 20... If he's lucky, 50% will be ready for sea at any one time. Who knows how many torpedoes he'd have at his disposal. I suppose you'd only need one, right? But he's got 6,000 miles of ocean to cross to get there. Now, he might choose Guam. He might choose Hawaii. But the chances of any submarine, never mind the Romeos, getting more than a couple hundred miles from his own coastline before they litter the bottom with the crushed hulls of these Romeos and the poor slobs in them that are actually using them, uh, the crews of them, uh, are slim to none, and that's on a very good day. Because any Western Navy, and I do mean any, would be able to deal with those 10 Romeo submarines with their helicopters, sonar, towed array sonars, uh, they've got sonar boys, all kinds of uh, anomaly detection devices. The sensor suites today they have on modern warships would make Swiss cheese of those Romeos in no time at all. So the chances of him actually using that as a viable threat, he might try it, but it wouldn't get him anywhere. You know, he would never get anywhere near any place where he could launch them and do any real serious damage. 
there is a theoretical threat he might try to launch an ICBM from a submarine, but to say you have the same problem. Uh, those things sound like tractors underwater, and U.S. Navy, the Canadian Navy, the Japanese Navy, you name the country, uh, would pick them up and pick them off in no time. So I don't see that as a real threat. The big deal is the ICBMs. And with North Korea having the, their hand on the nuclear button, this is a worldwide threat. Now, a lot of people say, uh, and I'm thinking now of the comments made by President Trump, how, you know, um, if North Korea makes it, it doesn't knock it off, they're going to see fire and fury like the world has never seen. Well, the world has seen plenty of fire and fury. So that part's rhetoric. But if any president, if you had to pick between Obama or Trump, which ones do you think is more likely to take a hard line on uh, <clears throat> uh, a hard line against, uh, I'm trying to think of it, the little grease ball, okay, it's going to be Trump. Like he is not going to, if, if he makes if he makes North Korea that threat, you can bet the Seventh Fleet is going to back it up. So how that's going to work, I don't know. But I do know that these guys are a very, very real threat to world peace. They can hit all kinds of, they can hit Europe. They can hit any city in Europe they want to. And again, accuracy is not the point. They don't have to be. The, when you have a nuclear missile, okay, there's a lot of things that affect it in flight. Variations in Earth gravity, uh, the, actually the spinning of the Earth as it spins, uh, the wind, the weather, all these kind of things as it goes up out of the atmosphere and then comes back down again can affect its trajectory, just like a bullet. Okay, when you fire a bullet from a gun, the further you shoot it, the more effect there is on the bullet by all these different forces. And an ICBM is just a fancy bullet with a great big payload. So you get what they call a footprint of where it might land, and it looks kind of like an egg, you know, an oblong thing, where it could land here and the possible drift uh, of, the, of the ICBM as it comes down can land anywhere within that eggshell, so, or in, within that egg-shaped impact area. So if he launches one at, let's say, Chicago and happens to hit, you know, um, uh, Wisconsin with it, he doesn't care. If he throws one at San Diego and hits San Francisco instead, does he care? No. If he throws one at Phoenix and he lands it in Nevada, does it matter? Well, maybe that'd be the best place to land it, other than maybe Las Vegas. Uh, but the point I'm making is that he doesn't care if he hits the city he's shooting at. He just wants to be able to hit the United States. So... There's, there's a lot to be said for this guy and the threat that he poses. So he poses a threat to Europe, to Japan, to the United States, to Canada. Um, and to sit here and debate about whose fault it is. That was something that just blew me away on Facebook today. There's a, people blaming the West for provoking this guy. You don't need to provoke this guy. He's a megalomaniac. He's, he's absolutely delusional in his, you know, his grip on reality is so fragile that provoking him is not the issue. Containing him is. So you've got a lot of things to think about there. So I'm just curious. Um, I should scroll down here. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. Oh, there we go. All right. Anyway, the point is that there's a lot of real problems with this. And this guy is going to get taken out one way or the other. Um I certainly hope that we don't see any nuclear exchanges. Nobody wants that, certainly least of all me. Um, but something's got to be done. You cannot allow this guy to run around threatening the peace and 
the world isn't necessarily a very peaceful place. I grant you that, but he's not going to make it any better, is he? You know, of all the regimes in the world that you might say uh, have might have the nuclear weapon, he's the last one I would give it to. Okay, this is and, man. It's not a pleasant conversation. I don't like the whole way this is shaping up. Now, Mr. Tillerson, the um, I think he is the UN, um, the United States, um, uh, come on, Secretary of State. I think that's who he is. Um, was trying to back the rhetoric down today, and the Chinese have been saying the same thing. You know, hey guys, let's step back from the edge here because there's a lot at stake. You know, there's the millions of lives hanging in the balance. But you can count on this much. It won't be the West that shoots first. But the guy who shoots first isn't always the guy who shoots last. And that's what's important. Remember, you have a real serious threat to the world, and it comes from Pyongyang and the little grease ball that lives there. So let's hope cooler heads prevail. Let's pray that we can find a way out of this that does not involve the military option because nobody wants to see that kind of thing happen. But if it does come to that, then let's play, pray it's fast and as painless as possible. Because the best way to win a war is quickly. We don't want this to drag out. We don't want to get into an extended, long uh, slugfest with anybody, especially with somebody like um, <clears throat> this little greaseball, Kim Jong-un, out of North Korea. You know... We, we want to go in. It's part of the reason why you have a modern and effective and well-armed military, so that when you do take on an opponent, you so overwhelm them that the fight is really short and and make it short, brutal, and, and over. Okay, now, we haven't seen much of that because most of the time when we go into conflicts now, we send our guys in. Um, <laughs> Anthony says, why doesn't the shiny po pony go there and give him a big hug? Yeah, you know, that's a. It's worth a try. <laughs> now, speaking of which, the I don't know exactly how all this played out, but it is him sitting on the throne at the moment. There was a release of a Christian minister that's been held in North Korea, and I I forget the man's name, and I don't mean any disrespect. Um, but if the liberals had anything to do with that. And they've been in office long enough now that maybe they did. Then I'll give them credit for that. That's a good job. You know, get that guy out of there. I wish they'd have done that with those two guys down in, in the Philippines who had their heads sawed off and uh, just after Trudeau took over and didn't lift a finger to try to save them. But in this case, let's at least give them credit where credit is due. So, you know, if, if Ottawa had something to do with that, if the Liberal government had something to do with that, then good on them. That's what they're supposed to do you know, to protect Canadian lives overseas. I don't know why this guy was there. I don't know what he had to do, um, you know, what was uh, his so-called crime. Other than that, I think he was trying to undermine, uh, he was accused of undermining the secular state by spreading Christianity. And in a communist country, you don't do that. You know, that, that carries a certain amount of risk with it as well. But anyway, so that's a little bit about uh, North Korea. That's a little bit about uh, what's going on on the world stage, at least from that front. Time for me to take a quick little break here and make sure everything's working over on that side of things. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back with more on the Naked Night Show right after this.
EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the Greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right. Fade that down here and hit that little button right there. No, there, there we go. Okay, and I can reset that for next time. All right, now, you know, sometimes let's stay on the federal stage for a minute. We'll get to Patrick Brown and all that nonsense here shortly. But the part that I don't understand is the gullibility sometimes of people in high office. Okay, or and maybe it's not gullible, maybe they're just trying to fool people. Uh, but, you know, there's been this big criticism about uh, selling the Saudis Canadian weapons, mostly the armored vehicles that we're famous for, the LAVs and the, the LAV-3s, uh, which are some, some of the best lightly armed vehicles in the world and certainly prove their worth in Afghanistan. And because of that, other countries want them. Well, Saudi Arabia uh, ordered a bunch, and all of a sudden there's this big hullabaloo about selling these uh, machines to... Uh, the government of Saudi Arabia. What I can't figure out, first of all, and if I mentioned this last week, then I apologize for that, but what I cannot figure out is why people get all upset about selling weapons to the Saudis because they're going to use them against their own people, and it sounds like they're going to go to war with Yemen uh, and maybe use them there, but Nobody seems to have a problem with buying Saudi oil. And the kingdom of Fad sorry, is well known for sponsoring uh, Wahhabists, uh, the Wahhabist version, the most violent version of Islam, setting up mosques all over the world, setting up um, madrasas that teach this stuff. Uh, you know, they have their own uh, human rights abuses within their own country against their own people, and we don't seem to have any problem buying their oil. Am I the only one that thinks that's crazy? I just, I, I don't, I can't follow the logic. Look, if you don't like what your neighbor is doing with your garden hose or with, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're buying from your neighbor apples, the money that comes from the apples he's using for some nefarious purpose, you get upset. At, you, you don't get upset at that. But if he wants to borrow your, if he wants to buy your garden hose, you have a problem with it. Because of what he'll do with the garden hose. It's just, I just don't understand it. Now, what does that got to do with this story? This story 
uh, is titled, Days Before Clash, Ottawa assures, assured the courts that Saudis wouldn't use Canadian arms against its citizens. Only two weeks before Saudi Arabia deployed what appeared to be Canadian-made armored vehicles against its citizens, the Trudeau government was defending military sales to the Mideast Kingdom in court filed on the basis that no proof existed Riyadh had ever used such equipment on its own people. No, no, uh, maybe not, but they do use things like, oh, I don't know, scimitars, you know, to chop people's heads off. They have a long list of human rights abuses. What made these people think? in high office in this country that given something like an LAV with a 20 milli- with a I think it's a 27 millimeter cannon on top who cares a big cannon on top and used effectively in, in Afghanistan that if people got out of line and wouldn't back down that they wouldn't roll these things out and use them on their own people what's the difference to the person who's dead whether they were killed by a sword or a cannon does it matter no they're still dead I mean, just this kind of logic, I just don't understand. The late July crackdown on, on minority Shia Muslims in Saudi, Arabia, Saudi Arabia's eastern province, which Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland is now investigating, has shone a spotlight on combat machines sold to the Saudis by a little-known Ontario company, Teradyne Armored Vehicles. All right. It just doesn't make any sense to me. How can they sit around and say... Um, you know, these aren't problems. Uh, the, we, we have a problem with selling weapons to these guys, but we don't have any problem funding that weapons purchase by buying oil. Where do you think they got the money to buy the weapons in the first place? Linda says, no, we should not be buying our own, we should be buying our own oil. Screw the Saudis. Yeah, you're at, Linda, you're absolutely right. I don't see any problem uh, with, with doing that because, you know something, it's about time... Um, we actually started to pay attention to this stuff. You eat, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And for the liberals to go on about this stuff as if it's, well, you know, they promised us. They promised us. They said they wouldn't do it. Honest. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like a little boy who got caught with his hand in the cookie jar and is now saying his sister put him up to it. Well, whether she did or not, it's not the point. You still had your hand in the cookie jar. So these guys make no sense to me at all. They just don't. It's the double standard, I guess. That makes me crazy over all this stuff because if you got a problem on one side of the coin, then maybe it's not just the other side. Maybe the coin's bad. So this is another reason why this government overall is doing a really lousy job. All right, now, let's see. Okay. I was going to save this. You know what? I, um, I'm going to save that till after the commercial break because I want to get into this. We have another problem. Again, on the federal side, now we have not remember last week we had the story about the Olympic uh, Stadium in Montreal being used to house. Ref- I, I can't I can't bring myself. I know they're using the word refugees, and I'll put that in quotes uh, to describe the people who are illegal immigrants crossing our borders at places other than official uh, border crossings and be processed like everybody else. If you if you come across that way, you are an illegal immigrant, not a refugee. You cannot be a refugee from the United States. You just can't. The reason is it's a first world country. It has a functioning legal system with its own set of laws. Now, you might not like things about the United States. That's fair. You know, you might not like the president. You might not like this. You might not like that. But those people 
have as much right to impose whatever law they want to upon their people, including who gets in and who has to leave, as anybody else does. When people come up from the United States, they are not refugees. You cannot claim refugee status in Canada from the United States. And if they happen to be from Haiti and they land in the United States first, they're still not refugees. They could be economic migrants. They could be... But refugee status, to me at least, means when you come to Canada or any Western country and you want to be called a refugee, you're seeking political asylum or you're seeking protection from the violence of war. Those are the two reasons you claim um, uh, refugee status. But if you can't claim that because the United States is not at war and the immigrants, the illegal immigrants there, you know, are not under threat of, you know, fear for their lives. It's not like they're fleeing some tyrannical third world dictator. Okay, so this whole idea of refugees is, makes me crazy to begin with. That's a long way of explaining that. But the story that I want to get to is this idea that now the we have about 100 troops putting up tents that will hold about 500 people at a place called St. Bernard de la Croix, La Col. L-A-C-O-L-L-E, whatever that is, and La Cole, I think is how you say it, in Quebec. And it consists of modular tent shelters with floors, lighting, and heating. So the armed forces come in, put up, uh, and they've done it at the request of the government because the government, the, the, the army wouldn't just do that on its own. So obviously the Quebec government has appealed to the, uh, to the Canadian uh, federal authorities and said, we need some help. What can you do for us? And they said, well, um, Bagotville's just down the road. Valcarche's not far away. Uh, we'll send in some troops and some tents and we'll set it up. And they're taking in like 500 people a day. Now, if I was running it, there'd be a bus stop just outside the tent. So you bring them in, you give them a, a meal, you make sure they're okay, you know, you, you check them over, make sure they're not, no broken limbs, nobody needs immediate, immediate, immediate emergency medical treatment. Then you take them out, you put them on a bus, and you drive them right back over the border and drop them off again and tell them don't come back. That's how you're supposed to deal with this. You don't welcome them with open arms. And then, uh, I think it was Lowell was saying today, um, it might have been on his Facebook page or it might have been on the radio, I forget now, but that a lot of these people are sworn to promise, promise to appear in court for the, for the evaluation of the refugee status, and they just wander off. Nobody knows where they are. Nobody knows if they're ever going to come back. We have a huge problem. This is going to turn into Calais, France. Now, these are Haitians. They're not, by and large, they're, it's not the same group, but you have the same problems with refugees. We cannot accept people over our borders illegally. It's a violation of our laws. It's an insult to the people who stand in the lineup at the immigration counter wanting to come in properly, to be vetted properly, to tell us why they want in, where they want to go, and what they want to do. We have that right as a nation. And to watch the liberals just spit in the face of that whole process is what makes me so angry about it. All right. We'll take another quick little break. When we get back, we're going to dive into Patrick Brown. And, oh, what a mess we make. Let's go and talk. Let's, let's do this, and we'll be right back after that. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, 
and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customer some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. I just absolutely hated it. This, it was one of the worst shows I think I've ever seen. You can't have one without Had a cool theme song, though. I would But I'm turning down the wrong knob. <laughs> oh, man, Al Bundy and his crew, I'm telling you, they were absolutely the worst examples of family life I can think of. And, you know, it's funny because my kids, are, they all look at me and go, oh, Dad, you're just an old fuddy-duddy. Because I like, and I didn't mean to get into this, but I heard the song, and that's just the way it goes. Anyway, the um, the situation was I was telling them about the benefits of watching Foghorn Leghorn. Remember, for those of you my age or older, when we grew up, you had uh, the Looney Tunes, which was uh, a whole host of characters. Yosemite Sam, who got pulled because he was too violent. Now, you know what? If I was going to get shot at anybody shot at by anybody i want yosemite sam shooting me he i don't think he ever hit anything he was shooting at how many bullets did whiz past bug's head and never touch him you know it didn't matter you tell you these he was absolutely he had those two six shooters which never ran out of bullets he couldn't hit the broad set of a barn if i'm going to be shot at any by anybody i want him but he got pulled. He was too violent. They pulled the coyote, uh, the Roadrunner Coyote show for the same reason. They got rid of the Tweety Bird and, and um, what was the name of the cat? Sylvester. Sylvester and Tweety Bird and the little granny who used to beat the crap out of that cat. So, <laughs> believe me, there are days I'd like to be able to do the same thing. Um, but anyway, it was all because uh, when I watch those old cartoons, I get such a chuckle out of it. There's so many levels of humor in those shows. It's so brilliantly written. And my kids say, it's always the same thing. Yes, but it's all, you you got to understand, every time you watch it, there's some little thing in it you didn't see before. And all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, and it's a whole new laugh all over again. Today's cartoons, they're garbage. I just don't like them. And I'm, I'm, maybe I am just an old stuffy fuddy-duddy, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, <sighs> Cheech and Holly, Holly Hawk, I don't remember that one. Anyway, all right, let's get into this Patrick Brown thing. I like to have fun while I'm doing this show. It doesn't always have to be um, always have to be doom and gloom, but you know what? This I called this back in November when it first broke. There was remember the whole issue, and I forget what riding it was in. Um, maybe the story will tell me, but there was a riding where they found when they examined the ballot boxes. More ballots cast than there were people on the voters' roll. Now, I'm talking about the elections for candidates for the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. 
there was all um, obviously it's in the Hamilton region somewhere because that's where the story's out of. Uh, but at the time, I said, you know, this sounds a lot like fraud because these people have been denied their right to vote for somebody they pay ten bucks uh, to support and have their um, uh, have their candidate candidate enter the uh, race and then best man win, right? And I said, geez, that sounds an awful lot like fraud. Somebody should investigate that. Well, guess what? The Hamilton police did, or are. Hamilton police have launched a criminal investigation. This is from the Hamilton Spectator, I think. Do, do, do. Where'd you go? Where's the text? Uh, yeah, it's out of pay a Hamilton paper anyway. Uh, let's see. Hamilton police have launched a criminal investigation into a progressive conservative nomination contest clouded with allegations of fraud and ballot tampering, to put it mildly. The probe comes in the wake of controversies and previous nomination meetings that caused mass resignations from two PC riding associations and alleged breaching of voting rules. It also arrived after the PC's course of criticism around the Liberals' gas plant scandal and bribery charges related to the Sudbury by-election, both of which will culminate in trials next month. I can confirm that there is an investigation that is still currently ongoing, said Hamilton Police Service Spokesman Constable Lorraine Edwards. Launched in mid-May, the case was handled initially by the fraud unit and has since been passed on to the criminal investigations unit. She did not divulge any targets in the probe, but said the police were investigating the whole scenario. Last May, two would-be PC candidates for the Hamilton West and Castor Dundas riding, which is where the fraud took place, or at least alleged fraud took place, uh, launched internal appeals to the party and the lawsuits, and then lawsuits in the courts following a contested nomination meeting on May 7th. PC leader Patrick Brown used his veto power to quash the internal appeals and greenlight official winner Brent Ben Levitt. Uh, he also declined comment on the investigation. Anyway, it goes on and on about more of their problems. But I called this. I knew that something like this was going to happen. Now, uh, it's not that I'm all that smart, all that smart, but look, let's um, let's say that uh, you, there's a lot of agencies, and I'm not accusing the Hamilton police of being. Um, having a particular political bent. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But conservatives seem to take a lot of heat for a lot of stuff. Now, there's a problem here uh, in the fact that what Patrick Brown has kind of painted himself into a corner, and I'm going to be watching very closely to see what he does. With this Sudbury uh, bribery trial that's going on, Patrick Brown has made a very big deal out of... Um, demanding that the premier step aside, if not resign. I don't think he, he, she would resign, but certainly step aside and let somebody else lead the party while she's tied up with these particular uh, allegations against her and her senior leadership about bribery over the Sudbury riding scandal. Now, is it or is it not legitimate for the liberals to turn around and say, hey, Patrick, how about a dose of your own medicine? Because now you are under criminal investigation, you and your senior leadership. If you want her to step down, Kathleen Wynne to step down, then you should lead by example, and they would be exactly right. Now, will he do that? I don't know. I really don't. But the problem is, and I don't think, first of all, and just some of the conversations I've had today and, and um, reading this story and, and thinking about it, 
uh, was the idea that the courts are very reluctant to get directly involved in the way that parties govern their internal affairs. Because, yes, this is against the PC party rules, but they're allowed to have any rules they want to. And the courts may say, take a hands-off approach to say, yeah, it was immoral. Yeah, it was probably, it was very unethical. But from a legal criminal code point of view, there's nothing here to charge him with. There's nothing here, there's no charges here to lay. The problem with it, even if that happens to be the outcome, I frankly don't care. The, the situation is this. Patrick Brown now has a huge millstone around his neck. He's already got problems within his own ranks about his leadership. And a lot of people, if they haven't fled the party already, for parts unknown, are certainly looking for the exits. And this may be the splash in the pool that drives a lot of them out. And the longer he stays as leader, the more people are going and defies uh, cries for him to step aside and do the right thing the way he's been screaming at Kathleen Wynne to do. And the longer this investigation drags on, the more damage his staying in office as leader is going to cause. So that's I, if you're if you're looking at this from just a simple cold calculated point of view, who wins in this scenario? Well, the liberals are in trouble. The longer the Kathleen Wynne stays in office, the longer they're in trouble. They're already getting desperate with a lot of promises and goodies, um, you know, that are out there. Seven different pharmacare programs, all kinds of. You've got the test on on um, base incomes, you know, guaranteed base incomes in three or four cities for about four thousand people. You've got you uh, just all kinds of different goodies that have been thrown out there. Our energy prices have been artificial artificially they've been artificially manipulated for a long time but they've been pushed down before the election and after the election they're going to head for the sky again like they were doing before so you can't believe that you've got all kinds of different problems out there uh, <clears throat> that the liberals are doing everything in their power to try to bar bribe people who don't pay attention to this stuff the way that you and i do are out there saying holy cow uh, look at all this good stuff they're giving me. I've got free health care. I've got free pharmacare. You know, uh, uh, if I'm under 24, I get free drugs, which is ridiculous because most people under 24 are in the prime of the health of their life and don't need a lot. And I'm speaking in general terms. You know, they're not filling a lot of prescriptions. But there's still the cost. The reason why this is expensive anyway is there is still the cost of building the new bureaucracy and administering it. And you know you're going to have people making... God knows how much money to run a program the vast majority of people it's targeted at are not going to use. But that doesn't mean there won't be paperwork to fill out. That doesn't mean there's not going to be memos going back and forth in meetings and all the stuff necessary to keep that bureaucracy afloat. And that's why it's so expensive. Okay, It's not like the private sector who looks at this and says, well, we really don't see a need for this. There's no hunger for it amongst the population. So why are we doing this? They wouldn't do that. They say, oh, no, we got to... You know, oh, we we, we got to be ready in case something happens, you know. So there's all kinds of problems with that. And now you're on the other side of the coin. You've got Patrick Brown running a sinking ship. And the longer he stays at the helm and won't change course, the more icebergs he's going to run into. So you don't really have a clear winner in this. Uh, I think this has been the PC party's election to lose. And so far, the polls don't reflect it yet. 
okay? They still put the PCs well out in front. But with this stuff keep coming up, you have dissension in the ranks. You've got an, un, an unsympathetic press. How long will that last? You know, we're, we're 2018, 2019 is coming pretty fast. We're within a little over a year now between now and the next election. So how long can you ride that wave before uh, a party who is uh, attacked villainously by the press, and in this case with good reason, um, can hold on to that lead, especially with the liberals up to their old tricks again, bribing people? I don't see... Um, uh, <clears throat> I don't see how he can hang on to this. I think the longer he stays, the worse it's going to get. And there's going to be a lot of people going to fringe parties, a lot of people going to new parties, uh, looking for some place to go other than the traditional three because there's not much difference between the three of them. I really don't see where we're going to win on any level um, sticking with the main three parties. So... There you go. That's my assessment of the situation. You're certainly free to make comments on it. I'm trying to keep a track on, on uh, Facebook here um, and see what people are saying. Uh, yes, surely it did happen in Ottawa, West Nepean. I believe that was, wasn't that Jay Tysick's? Uh, he had his own battle to fight there. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely it, uh, it, it is happening all over the place. And on top of all that, uh, Patrick Brown decided he was going to install just anoint 64 people and drop them into ridings no matter what the grassroots had to say. Uh, that doesn't help. That just tells people how much they are unappreciated. They want the money, but they don't want, they're not going to give you, usually money buys influence, right? Well, not in this case. They just want the money and you go away. Just make sure you show up on, on voting day. And remember, you check off the little blue box, right? You check off the PC party. That's where you put your X because you paid your $10 for the, the privilege of voting for Patrick Brown and his progressives. Sorry, I don't think most people like that. So we'll take a little break. We'll come back with more right after this. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile.
we've got that out of the way. Okay, that looks good. That looks better. There we go. All right. I'm getting the hang of this technical stuff sooner or later. Uh, let's see. Okay. Um, there is an issue I want to bring. This, the reason I think this is, well, I posted this on Facebook, and here's what I had to say about it when I posted it. And I'm talking about uh, the giant hogweed plant. Okay, this is a serious threat to the health and safety of our people of Ontario and to the country at large. So why can't we eradicate it at least here at home? Oh, right, because the Liberals in their infinite wisdom banned the single most effective tool we had to deal with things like this. That was called Roundup and other chemicals like that. Uh, this pesticide ban, I think, is coming back to bite us big time. And it's, it's crazy. When you read the article, let me just bring it up here. I know it's here somewhere. I can dump that one now. Okay. Uh, no, no, that's not that one. Where did you go? I know you're here. Yeah, where did Civil Liberties Union? Nope. Where's a hog, hogweed story? I know I have it here somewhere. Anyway, the point about this story is this stuff is really, really nasty. My wife got burned by this stuff a few years ago, and it took her a long time to uh, recover from the injuries caused by it. And it's on. It's really. You know what? I'll just bring it up right here. Okay. All right. It's a problem with um, uh, the sap in it. Is very very uh, nasty stuff. Okay. So here, this is from the Toronto Star. And the thing I want you to pay attention as I go through this is this thing is a threat to human beings. But listen to where they spend most of their, you know, what they're most worried about. It can cause third degree third-degree burns, and even permanent blindness, and it's spreading. Giant hogweed is cutting a wider swath in B.C. and Ontario, and the Nature Conservancy of, Conservancy of Canada is urging people across the country to document sightings of the towering 3-meter, which is about uh, almost 10 feet, 10-foot-tall green plant with large umbels of white flowers. Dan Krauss, a biologist with the Conservancy, said the, invasion, the invasive Asian species likely arrived in Canada in the 1940s and can now be found in areas of Atlantic provinces and Quebec and has been spreading into southern Ontario and southern BC. We have it up, at a, up around our way as well. You can see along the highways you drive by and there it is. It's kind of a pretty, uh, not pretty, I mean it's, it's a noticeable weed, let's put it that way. It's big. Uh, the flowers are either yellow or white. They kind of look a little bit like Queen Anne's lace if you remember that stuff. Okay, who cares about when it arrived? It's possible people are moving in from garden to garden. In 2015, five children in England were, were reportedly burned in two separate incident, incidents after coming into contact with giant hogweeds in public parks. Often mistaken for the sim similar-looking cow parsnip, it can be seen growing in gardens along roadsides and in ditches and on the shores of rivers and streams. Its clear sap can cause blistering third-degree burns, and even permanent blindness if it touches the body and is then exposed to the sun through phototoxic reaction. It's really very nasty. It can cause huge water blisters, almost like boils that erupt on your skin, said Tom Boland, a research horticulturalist at the Memorial University Botanical Garden in St. John's, Newfoundland. All right, now let me... Um, now, in order to be infected by this stuff, you have to break the plant and get the sap on you. Okay, they make that point. Uh, but here's what, uh, where did it go? Okay, later on in the article, they, they, they spend more time talking about this in the article than anything else. 
in Guelph, Ontario, Guelph, Ontario has been dealing with giant hogweed for about two years, and although it is now contained in two locations, eradicating the plant has proven difficult. Hey, Roundup 24D over, but they don't want to do that. This is this is where this lack of understanding of why we use herbicides and pesticides in the first place, okay, um, because it carries a benefit. Yes, there's a risk, but the benefit outweighs that risk. This is what happens when you throw all that out and say, that's it, we're not going to use it because we might pollute the environment. Well, the environment is now biting back because we won't take it seriously. Okay, Krauss said there's a concern about the loss of native biodiversity as giant hogweed is an aggressive plant that can outcompete native plants and spread, especially when it grows near waterways and its seeds are carried downstream. One plant can produce thousands of seeds and they can stay in the ground for years before germinating. The Conservancy is also asking people to document sightings of the invasive plant through apps such as iNaturalist, which helps scientists understand how the plants are spreading and identifies the areas in which they need to be eradicated. I got an idea. Instead of building bike paths, instead of putting up fences to keep turtles from crossing the road, instead of all the other nonsense that we're involved in, let's spend a little money, give municipalities a budget, to go out and buy the effective chemicals that kill this stuff and simply wage war on it. Just go after it. If somebody sees this stuff, they call the local municipality and say, okay, there's some over here on the third township line, or there's some out here on Smith Street, okay, there's a patch of it. And the crew jumps in the truck, throws in some Roundup or some 2,4-D in a, in a barrel, races out there, psh, game over, plant's dead. It's so simple, and yet they make it so complicated because they're so worried. They're absolutely so terrified that they might do something to the biodiversity. They're far more worried about the plants than they are the people the plants would harm. It's insane. And this is the kind of stuff, I mean, look, when my wife got burned, it was nasty. She got it on her legs. Uh, somebody had given us a length of, of um, not chain link, but um, fencing. Okay, you know the good old-fashioned square great fence? Um, pasture fencing, if you want to call it that. All we had to do was go out and roll it up and put it in the truck. All right, so she gets out there and she's rolling up this whole uh, whole thing of, um, of um, fence. She didn't know what she was doing. She never recognized, she knew what she was doing, but she didn't recognize the weed for what it was. And she's walking through it. Well, you break the stems, you break the leaves, and she got some on her legs. And two days later, all of a sudden, painful burns, blisters from her knees down to her ankles on both legs. And she was in a tremendous amount of pain for quite a while. It took a long time to heal, and you can still see the scars. Now imagine a three-year-old playing along... In a park somewhere, look at the story out of Britain, those five kids that were burned. How many times does somebody have to get hurt, or worse, if it gets really bad, lose their eyesight, which is a pot. It's, it's not a big risk, I grant you, but it's still a risk. I mean, you know, we take ser- are we taking ser- safety seriously or not? We make sure our kids are buckled into, into baby seats. We make sure that there's clearly marked crossways, um, you know, Cyclists and motorcyclists have to wear helmets because it's not safe not to. We play the safety card all the time. But when we have a real threat, and I'm not saying these other things aren't real threats and shouldn't be taken seriously, but we have a very clear threat to a large number of people in this province, and because it's a plant, we're the ones that suffer. 
Never mind eradicating the plant because it's noxious and it can do serious harm to people. Oh, no, we can't have that. You know, because that doesn't help the biodiversity. Or if we do do it, it's not because it'll hurt people. It's because it might push out a native plant. Maybe. And plants, you know, plants are funny things. You can collect seeds from them, and then you can replant them, and they will grow uh, where you planted them, which is part of the problem with this stuff. So if you could replant an invasive species, get rid of it, poison it, kill it, right? Then you could go back and replant the native species it was displacing. Am I being ridiculous? Does this make sense to anybody but me? Because right now I'm having a hard time understanding how anybody could sit there and say, we need to make sure that this pesticide ban, because, and look, I'm not knocking, people in the springtime, if they have breathing difficulties like asthma, they suffer. There's no doubt about it. But there's ways around that. We don't, um, I've got a couple daughters who have asthma. So I know what it's like, and they, you know, there's shortness of breath, and I get that. But are we willing to risk this kind of thing? Look, if if we just use some common sense and said we don't need to ban pesticides, because first of all, there's nothing really wrong with pesticides. If you follow the directions on the label, it's completely safe to use. There's always some idiot out there who's going to do something stupid, but you can't legislate stupidity, so you got to live with that. You're never going to have a perfectly clean environment. Okay, just not going to happen. Even without man here, there's all kinds of things that pollute the environment, like, oh, I don't know, forest fires and carbon dioxide gas. Oh, no, that's not a pollutant. You can't say that. But all, in other words, nature is not perfect. So why are we trying to make it so? Anyway, there's all this stuff going on about it that just, you just want to rip your hair out. Because the nonsense that comes from this stuff is enough to make you weep. There's so many easy answers to this. There's so much common sense that could be applied. This thing is not only a threat to humans, by the way. I'm pretty sure. Now, a lot of animals won't eat noxious plants. Okay? But if you had horses or cattle walking through the stuff, stepping on the stems, and around their nose and muzzle on both horses and cattle, okay, it's very sensitive skin. Think of a cow's udder as another place that it would be extremely exposed to this stuff. Um, and I'm not talking about dairy cows because beef cows have calves and they have udders too. So if you have a cow or a calf in a pasture and they happen to walk through this stuff and break some of those stems, not even affected, you, you've got a problem with the cow. And that would affect its ability to nurse its young. Horses the same way. Okay, Livestock in general have that problem. There's just It's not just a threat to human beings. And yet, what do they want us to do? Oh, Call us and we'll catalog it. No, I want you to come over here with some Roundup and a shovel and deal with it. Kill it dead and make sure the plant is taken out. You want to come back later and replant? Knock your socks off because the surrounding vegetation would grow over it anyway. You wouldn't need to. But you get rid of this stuff. That's what you do. How many of us would tolerate poison ivy in our backyard? So what's the poison ivy won't hurt you like this stuff will. But if you won't put up with poison ivy, why would you put up with this? I'm rattling on, I know, because it drives me crazy. All right, we're going to take our top-of-the-hour break. When we get back, we shall have more right after this. If I can find the right spot. 
Uh, where are you? There you are. Okay, we'll be right back in about a minute or two. I'll go refill my teacup and we'll take it from there. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at late night or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at late night the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay you're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. Let's see what else we got in here. Oh, yes. Here's another uh, wheels coming off the bus story for Justin to deal with. And you know, what's funny uh, about this is that if this was a conservative prime minister, uh, there would be no end of the litany of things he's done wrong and the things that don't work. And, you know, he's a, a nothing but a disaster. But when similar things happen to our present um, administration, not much gets said. Certainly there's no blame assigned to the top dog. And I will admit that regardless of who the prime minister is, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that he simply, you know, shouldn't be blamed for. But he's the captain of the ship. So when the ship hits a rock uh, or an iceberg, uh, that's who ultimately gets blamed because he's the guy in charge, right? So you can, from that perspective, blame pretty much everything that goes wrong in a government on that particular leader of the day. So... With that said, 
Um, you know the story about the missing, uh, murdered missing Indigenous women uh, panel? Or inquiry is what they call it. Um, well, it suffered another blow um, starting here. This is from CBC. The problem plagued inquiry into murdering and missing, missing in, Indigenous women and girls has lost another key staffer as dozens of family members, activists, and academics have written an open letter to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau demanding the deeply misguided inquiry get a hard reset. Now, okay, first of all, I thought this guy, our boy King, uh, was the kind of guy who was... You know, the best thing to happen to the indigenous population, the native population in this country, uh, since sliced bread. Um, and he was going to solve all their problems. I mean, he promised them the moon. He promised them half the galaxy. And a lot of people voted for him because he was so connected. I mean, you know, just, oh, and he had such pretty hair. And he owns your hand when he get, you know, all that nonsense that is absolutely meaningless when it comes to real leadership. So he's put this panel together, and the longer it goes, the fewer wheels it has. And I only thought it had four to begin with. Anyway, so it's falling apart. CBC has confirmed Wanique Horn-Miller, who is the Director of Community Engagement, is leaving the inquiry to focus on her family, which is code for this is a disaster. I'm getting the hell out while the getting's good. Um, and I don't blame her because this is a heck of a mess. At the time of her appointment in February, the Mohawk former Olympian media personality and health advocate called the job a mission, yes, with no possibility of success. The development comes as the letter from the coalition says relatives have been shut out of the process and the commissioners are on a path that will not lead to the successful fulfillment of the inquiry's mandate. Well, first of all, it's a really stupid mandate to begin with because we already know what happened. All right. Uh, we've got a caller on hold. I don't like that, so let's take the call. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick and Night Show. Who am I talking to? It's Mike. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. Good. Uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, herbicide-pesticide ban thing. Please do. This drives me nuts because as somebody who has asthma and allergies, this, this cockamamie bullcrap about uh, it, they got rid of the pesticides to help people like me. No, they didn't. I'm allergic to things like ragweed and goldenrod. That's what most people who have allergies and asthma are most affected by, and that's what they use to treat. So by getting rid of the, the, the sprays, those weeds are now out of control, and my asthma and allergies have never been as bad. And I know from everybody else who has asthma and allergies, theirs have been much worse. Well, it's funny that you mention that because as I was saying, thinking about that, and making my comments about it, that made that thought kind of crossed my mind. Is if you do suffer from from asthma, then you'd want to get rid of a lot of these, you know, the different weeds that are out there that have real heavy. Like in the springtime out at our place, um, the air is just filled with all kinds of pollen and all kinds of stuff that would irritate the air passages that cause the problems you're dealing with. Yeah, and, and you can't get rid of everything. Like, I'm going to be allergic to things that, you know, I don't just want all flowers gone or something like that. But you notice the war on peanuts or something like that. We, we can't have peanuts anymore. It, the peanuts are banned. But uh, I've got to, they, instead of banning the weeds that make me sick, they've banned the thing that controls the weeds. It's like, it, you might as well serve peanut butter sandwiches at school tomorrow for everybody. That's what you've done to me. 
Yeah. Same thing. Well, this is a classic case of where this whole environmental agenda trumps everything else. And that's that's what I was driving at before about how they're talking about the biodiversity as if that's the most important thing. No, the health well, of the people is. And Yeah, and think about it. So what, 10, 15 years ago when we were, you know, spraying pesticides, seemed to me there were a lot more trees in Ottawa. Ottawa's never been short of trees, but you're right. Uh, well, we are now. It looks like a, it looks like uh, we've had a, like a forest fire or something go through here. All the ash trees that are gone. What about that? Yeah, yeah actually, that's right. The uh, what do they call that? The um, the oh, ash, the emerald ash borer. That's it. The emerald. So ash, you've I'm got a, a a particular bug that didn't that wasn't natural to this area, but now you know it's it's. Again, because we've gotten rid of pesticides and herbicides, um, and and I, you know, I think one of the things that people they think that they first off they think these chemicals are just I don't know concocted in some mad laboratory or somewhere. Most of these uh, pesticides are well, everything is naturally occurring. First off, that's why that I got a kick out of that. Uh, you posted it a while back on Facebook. Uh, Stu from uh, the Glenn Beck program went into pesticides and how it's literally in every food because every product, every food item has a naturally occurring pesticide to resist the bugs or whatever from getting at it. They all have built-in defense mechanisms. Well, so course, we eat pesticides every day. Of course, every, uh, all the apple trees, cherry trees, um, raspberry bushes, Strawberries. So, so really, what is a pesticide? A pesticide selectively gets rid of very specific bugs. It's not like there were no bugs before. We we had bugs. There were ants and bees and all kinds of things. We we had. You could spray for dandelions. My grass wasn't mud. It is now that we got rid of all the pesticides because it's all weeds and and grubs now. So pesticides and herbicides were specifically targeting just particular organisms, like very damaging or harmful pests, mosquitoes and other bugs that carry disease, yeah. bed bugs. We, we didn't even, when, when I was a kid, my dad used to always say, when, you know, tucking us in at night, don't let the bed bugs bite. And, and it was like a little joke. I never knew that I, ha I would ever live in a day where I actually have to worry about getting these things. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, it's fun, that's true. It's been resurgent in the last let's say, five or six years, maybe longer, here in Ottawa, some of the best hotels in the city have had bed bugs. Um, you know, and why is that? Center. Because we've gotten rid of DDT and all the other various controls that targeted just those specific bugs or just those specific weeds. And, and now we're all suffering because of it. Um, these, I mean, you, why is it like they had it, everybody freaking about the pesticides and the herbicides um, you know, if you sprayed it on your grass and got it on your shoe like dog dirt, you're all going to die. But yet, it's okay to eat it. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's, what's that about? Well, they were, they weren't banning it from farming. Well, again, this is it's not about the science. It's never no, been exactly. about the science. It's because if they, if they followed the science, we never would have imposed this stupid ban in the first place. I remember Lowell on the air years for years saying, I will lay down $1,000 of my own money if you can show me one peer-reviewed um, test that actually, journal or test, I forget exactly which way he phrased it, that shows me that 2,4-D or Roundup, not, when it's properly used, is harmful to humans. And no one ever was exactly. able to, to, to take him up on that because there is, none, there is no documentation like that. 
It's all about control. It's all about this environmental agenda, and they don't care one whit for the people who live within that environment. It's always the environment trumps everything else. Why do you think we have? Why do you think we spend? Who knows how much money putting fences up along highways to keep a turtle from getting squished on the road? Yeah, it's just nuts. Yeah, right. and and really and truly, it's it's again this idea of well, it's going to contaminate the environment. How did you get it out of the environment? Yeah, that's that's a very good point. It's, take a look. So at, uh, really, no. really, what they're doing is they're not they're not really worried about this. Is a, another ruse. This is how they treat. This is how they do everything. It's always sort of a ruse to get you to react. Oh, it's going to poison your kids, and they're all going to die, and there won't be any birds and trees anymore. Like as if we didn't have any of that stuff up until 20 years ago. We this is the first we've ever had trees or something. Well, or, or, you know, suddenly we got birds. They're the ones killing birds with their windmills and the solar farms. But, you, oh, no, we, that, that was why we supposedly had to get rid of uh, WD, or what, what do you call it, uh, the DDT, sorry, uh, because it was going to kill birds. Yet when they're killing birds, it's okay. Yeah, but when we weren't killing birds, you had to get rid of it. So it's all a lie. They, they, just, they just don't want you using things. It's all basically anti-capitalist, for one. That's part of it. There's control. There's sort of a malcontent uh, agenda to it because some people just aren't happy unless they're making other people miserable. And, and then there's also, uh, I, you can't take the eugenics out of the progressive movement. You just can't. It's part of it. These people, if you believe in evolution and you believe in eugenics to that degree, then everything, by, by basically allowing weak human beings to, to exist and coexist and intermingle and interbreed, what are you doing? You're weakening the race. But they don't talk like that because they know they're smart enough to know from the Hitler days that if you start talking master race, boom, 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 signals are going to go off and people are going to freak. So what do we do? Let's just kick the crutch out from under the cripple, and if he falls down, too bad for him. It's the, the crutch was bad for the environment. That's what we. That's what they they try to pass it off as. Well, one of the most effective. So I, tools, I think there's a eugenic component to this. I really do. One of the most effective tools you can use if you want to get into a discussion with, or if you get find yourself in a discussion with one of these, uh, enviro wackos who who thinks that you know mankind's a blight on the earth, and that uh, we need to live more green. We have to stop using fossil fuel. And while they hold a cell phone or a tablet or something like that in their hands and are wearing clothes made out of. Uh, uh, polyester is asked them to have a look at the tar sands and then have a look at a rare earth metal mine where all the, the where they get the main ingredients or a lot of the very important ingredients that go into making that cell phone they're holding and would they be willing to give that up and go back to the old dial phone on the wall you know are they willing to to really make the commitment and when you look at the visual between a rare earth mine it's a strip mine first of all and it makes a tar sand look like the uh, fire pit at a Boy Scout convention. It's there's no comparison at all. In fact, when, it could and be think argued. about just the logic of it. Uh, if 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 when a uh, you know you have an oil spill, they freak out. Oh my gosh! If you wrecked the plant, look at what you did. Look at all the oil all over the ground and all in the water, and it's messing up the birds and everything. 
So then you have a natural oil spill, which we're like, hey, not only can we clean it up, make the environment better, but we could use the oil. Ah, 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 you can't do that. You're wrecking the environment again. Yeah, I know. So if it's... you're cleaning it, you're wrecking the environment. If you're using it, you're wrecking the environment. If you're polluting it, you're wrecking the environment. So basically, just being you pollutes the environment. That's what they're really against. They don't want you being there, and they don't want you using it. Well, so when they say they're protecting the environment, they're basically getting rid of you. I haven't found anybody yet that wants to surrender the benefits of fossil fuel, uh, but are, while they're more than happy to bash the benefits. I mean, if, if you exactly. get rid of all of the oil in your life, you know, all the things made from oil, you'd end up with, with a very tiny little pile, and that would be it, and your house would not be part of it. So, Mike, I'm going to let you go. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, there's a lot to, you know, interesting, interesting stuff. I mean, these people, they think in circles when they should be thinking in straight lines. They don't connect the dots in logic very well. And it's unfortunate when that happens because, for the most part, a lot of these people are well-intentioned. They just have never really reasoned out what happens if they got their way. And would you really want to live that way, you know? It's just the way it is. They, they never stop to think about why we use oil in the first place. All right, so let me get back to, do-do-do-do, uh, where did we go? Oh, that's the Saudi story. We've been over that. Okay, this, you know what? I know this is, it's not a controversial, I don't think there's much controversy around this. It's, an, a, it's a story you can expect um, because Donald Trump has banned transgender people from, um, in the mainstream media, uh, they don't want, uh, in the mainstream, no, in the military. He said, no transgender people will be allowed to serve in the American military. Now, there's five of them that are going to sue the U.S. government. Now, it does not say in the article, at least not that I remember, that these people were already transgender when they went and, because uh, uh, they're Vietnam, not Vietnam, um, Afghanistan and Iraq vets. Um, but... It doesn't, so they don't know, it doesn't say whether they were, you know, had the transition before or after. But I watched actually, and I think I posted it on Facebook. If I didn't, I should have. There was a, a um, uh, actually it was a Catholic priest by the name of, I think his name is Father Mike. And he explained uh, what's wrong. Actually, no, it wasn't him. That was something else. It was uh, Ben Shapiro who laid it out about why you why transgenderism is not discrimination it is a statement of fact like you can't you can't be a man no matter how much you uh, want to be if you're a woman and you can't be a woman no matter how much you want to be as a man and the way he he laid it out would say look you have a perception of reality okay like if somebody were to walk around uh, dressed as Napoleon, claiming to be Napoleon Bonaparte, and really being convincing, it still wouldn't make him Napoleon. And we would lock somebody like that up in a loony bin. Because what's wrong is reality says this guy's John Bloggins from 123 Smith Street was born in 1964 and, you know, couldn't possibly be Napoleon. But he swears up and down that he is. He's firmly convinced he is. So what's wrong? Is reality wrong and we have to adjust it to fit him? Or is his perception of reality wrong and he needs to learn to either accept the reality that he's not Napoleon or he needs medical, uh, mental, uh, psychological assistance? And it's the same thing here. 
in the case of transgender people, their perception of reality is what's wrong. If you have a man standing in front of you claiming to be a woman, then his perception of reality is what's wrong. It's not the fact that he's, and it does not deny their human dignity. It does not say they're not, they have no value. It is not hateful. It is absolutely simply called the truth. No matter how much you want to be one, you can't be, if you're the other, you can't, that's a coin you can't flip. You can't, you can change the plumbing all you want. You really can. We have the ability to do that. But this nonsense about the whole idea of, of becoming a woman when you were born a man or vice versa is not a problem of plumbing. It's not a problem of people's attitudes. It's a problem of perception of reality. And that, I think, Ben did a great job. I should have looked that up and played that for you tonight. But I just it's enough to make you just pull your hair out because common sense tells you this. Common sense is what says, wait a minute. How can, a, how can somebody born anatomically a male think that they're a female unless their perception of reality is wrong? Because biology does not lie. Do a DNA test on somebody. If you, if, if you never met somebody, and no, I'm not saying I want gay people tested genetically. I'm not saying that. I've been accused of that once before. It's not going to happen again. I just That's not what this is about. But if someone gave you a, a, a tissue sample and you did a genetic test on that piece of tissue without knowing anything about the person it came from, you would be able to tell their gender based on their genetic code, whether they're a double X or an XY. And that's the truth. And you can't deny that. And you can bounce up and down about hurt feelings and you can scream and shout about rights all you want. But the reality is nothing changes the fact that you are born one way or the other and Mary the twain shall meet. You can't just switch. It's like, why aren't you, and I'm drawing this from this video by Ben Shapiro. I'm not smart enough to figure this out on my own. But he asked a question in the video of about a 24-year-old girl who was giving him a hard time, you know, well, you, you, you're just a, a racist or you're just a homophobe or something like that. And you just won't accept the reality of these people. She says, no, it's not me that is the problem with reality. It's them. And he says, so let me ask you a question. Because he says, you're, you're young enough. This won't be offensive. How old are you? She said, 24. He said, why aren't you 60? And she looked at him and said, what do you mean? Why am I not 60? He says, why are you not 60 years old? She said, because I haven't lived that long. And he says, exactly. You cannot identify as 60 because you aren't 60. And you cannot identify as a man when you're a woman because you are not one. And you can't identify as a if you're a woman as a man because you are not one. It's the same thing. You cannot change reality to fit your perception of it. It has to be the other way around. And that's this kind of stuff. When I read this story, let me sh I'll share you a little bit about this uh, story here. Now, let's see. Five transgender members of the U.S. military, including Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans, sued President Donald Trump on Wednesday, challenging his ban on transgender people serving in the armed forces. Trump said on Twitter on July 26th that the U.S. government will not accept or allow transgender individuals to serve in any capacity in the military, a reversal of Pentagon policy the law, that the lawsuit said made without, was made without consulting senior military commanders. I don't believe that for a second. 
I think there's all kinds of problems that come up when you do this. And uh, they've just said, we've got to do something about it. And Trump said, yeah, you're right. And he did it. The surprise announcement citing health care costs and unit disruption appealed to some of Trump's conservative political base, but created uncertainty for thousands of transgender service members. How many do you really think there are? I mean, look, um, I don't know what the numbers are, but I don't think you're talking hundreds of thousands of people. So why should we change a policy to suit a very tiny minority who need mental assistance to adjust their their the best thing that they could the best thing that Trump could do to them is is say uh, okay we will allow them uh, help with psychologists to help them deal with this issue and if they can uh, make the adjustment and come back to earth on a you know, reality and get a clean bill of health that they're how do I say this. Uh, that they've accepted reality for what it is, that they no longer have this desire to identify as the opposite sex. Okay, They've regained their grip on reality. Then if they want to reapply, they can. But for now, as long as they're that confused, they're no use to us in the military. It's, it, look, that may sound cold-hearted and cruel, but at the same time, I just you can't change reality to suit yourself. As badly as I wish Pierre Trudeau, uh, Justin Trudeau, is n was not the prime minister, I can bounce up and down all day long. It doesn't change reality that he is. I don't want Kathleen Wynne as a premier. Guess what? It doesn't matter what I want. It matters what is. That's I can have an effect on the outcome, perhaps, down the road, in the case of vote, who I vote for. But there's some things you cannot change. You cannot change which way the sun comes up in the morning. You cannot change your gender, and you cannot change reality to fit your perception. That's just the way it is. Oh, man. All right. Well, you know what? I'm just going to take a break, but we only got a few minutes to bottom the hour. So that kind of stuff just makes me crazy. Now, speaking of making you crazy, if this doesn't make your head spin, I'm sorry, folks. I have no idea what will. Um, i got to make this a little bigger because I'm old and my eyes don't work too good anymore. There we are. Okay. We all know about this hydrophile. And how many times we've seen what we think is the absolute top of the ladder or bottom of the barrel when it comes to asinine, stupid, uh, wasteful, uh, completely incoherent policies put in place by the wind government here in Ontario. Okay, now by their own admission, and Bob, has, if you don't know who Bob is, um, uh, Bob is a regular contributor to my Facebook page. He an analyzes things, takes facts and data, puts it into pretty pretty straightforward English so that everybody, even me, can understand it. And I post it on my Facebook wall for your consumption. And he has done uh, a number of breakdowns in different areas in the field of the um, uh, energy policies within Ontario and the electricity grid and all that stuff. Um, so if you want a good grounding, pardon the pun, of how our electrical system works, just find anything on my Facebook page by Bob, and he will certainly point it. After you've read it, you'll go, okay, now it, as, as crazy as it sounds, at least I understand it better because he's very, very good at that. All right, anyway, so here's the story. And, but remember, oh, yeah, there was one more point I want to make before I get into the story. The Ontario government has already admitted we have a surplus of power. That's why they sell a billion dollars worth of power to the states for $300 million and then claim they made $300 million on it when, in fact, they lost $700 million. 
that's from a few years ago but I very when Bob Shirelli was still the the Minister of Energy um, for the province he came out and made that claim they made 300 million dollars selling power to I think it was Vermont and uh, everybody said wait a minute it cost you a billion dollars to make that stuff how do you figure you made 300 you lost 700 million oh no we made 300 million I remember that like it was yesterday so we have a surplus of power and yet our rates are still through the roof okay so with that as the caveat with that as the background this is from yesterday's uh, Sun Ontario's Liberal government is talking with Quebec about a plan to purchase power but insists no deal has been struck which tells you which is code for saying yes it's already a done deal Colin Nikolakachuk Spokesman for Energy Minister Glenn Thibault denied a report in La Presse Monday that said the deal had been inked in which Ontario would purchase 8 terawatts of power annually from Quebec over the next 20 years. The electricity, roughly 6% of the Ontario's annual supply, would be enough to power 800,000 homes a year. Any deal must be cost-effective for ratepayers and support the government's goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, Nikolachuk said. Now, wait a minute, stop there. First of all, if it's going to support the government's reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which is impossible anyway, how is that beneficial to the ratepayer? Because the harder you try, the more expensive the hydro gets. So there's a, con a huge contradiction in that paragraph alone. While we haven't yet received an offer that meets those core objectives because it's impossible, we look forward to continued discussions with Quebec counterparts. The report also said that Ontario would pay 6.12 cents per kilowatt hour with the rates growing at, a, at an annual rate of 2% over the life of the deal. It also says the agreement would be pay and take. In other words, Ontario would pay for the entire package annually regardless of how much electricity it uses. Why does this sound so much like the City of Ottawa's green bin program? Or are we paid for 80,000 tons even though especially in the early days, we could only supply half of that. How, what is it with these people? They just, one bad, absolute asinine deal after another. And just, it's enough to make you scream is right. Stephanie says it's enough to make you scream. You're absolutely right, Stephanie, it is. Because... Are these the same people who wrote the green bin contract in the city of Ottawa now writing contracts for the province of Ontario? What idiot would... That's like saying, going to your gas station, here's $1,000 for gas. I'll pay you that for a year. Or $5,000. Price of gas, $1,000 wouldn't go that far. And if I only use 3500 you can keep the change. What kind of idiot would do that? Somebody spending somebody else's money, that's who. Because if it was your money, you'd never agree to that. And yet these people, the same kind of mentality that actually wrote the Green Bin Program contract here in the city of Ottawa, must be the genius down in King Queen's Park who came up with this whopper. All right, let me take a break. We'll be right back with more.
EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. back to this excuse me okay new topic we all know about the disaster that the so-called safe injection site is in vancouver and how it has actually been made things far worse Um, we've been over this many 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 times over the last decade here in in the ottawa area if you're unfamiliar with the story because you're not from the ottawa area um we have been fighting a battle here to keep uh, the so-called, and I use this term very loosely, uh, so-called um, safe injection sites. There's nothing safe about them um, out of the city because of the disaster in west side, in downtown west side of Vancouver. It's just been they've turned the place into a hellhole. Now they they it's come to pass that no matter what we do, there's going to be one of the what are they calling it now? Uh, supervised. Uh, let's see, an opi- opioid replacement program, okay, which is fancy code for um, another safe injection site. Now, in this story in the Ottawa Sun today, uh, I have a lot of respect for Vern White, who is a former chief of police of Ottawa. I got a chance to do a ride around with him when I was in, uh, in terrestrial radio. Uh, I've interviewed him a number of times. He's now a senator up in the, uh, up in the Red Chamber in the Senate uh, of the country. And, um, you know, all around a really good guy. I've always liked Vern. I think he's a great guy. And he is applauding this. Now, I'm not saying that Man, he shouldn't. Now, hold it. I'm not ready for TV that. For Stop that. Okay. Anyway, just nice to know it's ready to go. Anyway, the, um, the point is he's applauding this because he said it'll, it'll have an effect on uh, bringing down the rate of crime. And from his perspective, and he knows a lot more about crime and how to deal with it, you know, uh, than I do. And I admit that. I'm not a cop. I'm not a legislator. But I'm looking at when we had uh, handing out free needles here in the city of Ottawa for druggies to come. The city of Ottawa were giving out uh, up to 300,000 needles a year. 
and a lot of them were ended up just cast in people's backyards. I remember Chris and Lisa Grinham from Ottawa had a, a, an organization which I believe still exists called uh, Safe. Uh, what was the name of it now? I don't want Safer Ottawa or something along that line. Um, uh, anyway, they went around. They were called the Needle Hunters because Chris would go out. He found a needle, a couple of needles in his own backyard. He lived in uh, just off. Uh, Right in the downtown core. And uh, we, he and I actually went out at one point, and he showed me right beside the radio station, there was a little alley between the ice cream shop and the um, Bell Media Market Mall. Okay, a little alley just big enough to fit a car down. And we found half a dozen needles in it. Right there in the market. Okay, it was a big problem. Well, Chris and Lisa got on their horses, and they, and they actually got the city to put up exchange boxes, a place where the junkies could drop their needles and all that kind of stuff. And it made a big difference. Okay, But one of he was absolutely adamant about how dangerous these safe injection sites are. They're not safe at all. Okay, And they, they could not point to one overdose death in Vancouver that they actually prevented. This was a huge problem. So now we've come to the point where we're getting this whether we like it or not. All right, and even the mayor's against this, which is unusual for me and the mayor to be on the same side. So Vern White has decided that okay, uh, if, since we're going to get this, um, then he he's looking at it from a from a policeman's point of view. So let me share this with you. Uh, former Ottawa Chief Police and current Senator Vern White is applauding an opioid replacement program being set up by the Ottawa Inner City Health. He has been calling for similar programs across the country. White planned to contact Wendy Muckle the executive director of the nonprofit health agency that works with Ottawa's homeless. I'm going to congratulate her on being willing to take on the bigger discussion around addiction. I guarantee this will make a difference in the terms of crime. Now, okay, like I said, I'm not chastising Vern because, as I said before, he is far more in tune with um, uh, you know, the issues surrounding this than I am. But here's the way I see this. What they're saying is, in the article, they're saying that by giving them a better form of heroin, it will be safer because it's a higher grade. Uh, there's, you know, it's, it's the same kind of logic as taking an alcoholic and taking away shaving lotion, you know, the aftershave, sorry, and giving them a bottle of bourbon because it's a better form of alcohol. How does that help the alcoholic stop being an alcoholic? How does it break that cycle of addiction? Well, that doesn't work, and neither does this. Yes, Vern's right. In the short term, it will have a definite impact. But the problem is, there's two problems as I see it. Number one, you need more treatment centers. You need more beds. You need more places for people who are reaching out for help to be actually able to get it and go and, and have that problem. We've had that problem in this province for years. There's just not enough beds in treatment clinics to be able to help these people get through the dry-out process, the recovery process, and everything that goes with it, okay? People have actually died waiting. So when you hear this stuff, okay, understand that he's talking about in the short term. He's, he's talking about how these people, um, they'll have a place to go where they can continue to inject poison into their bodies, but it's cleaner poison. I don't get it, but... I bow to his wisdom on that. 
but in the greater scheme of things, the other thing you have to do, not only do you have to have better treatment for people who become addicted, but you have to start looking at why they come, become addicted in the first place. We have had addictions with us since the beginning, since before the dawn of time, to everything and every substance you can imagine, from chewing gum to pornography to cocaine to heroin to cigarettes to alcohol, you name it, somebody somewhere has been either is now or has been addicted to it. So it's not like we're ever going to cure the problem, but we can certainly put a lid on it. We can certainly do something to bring the numbers down and be ready to help those who are overcome by addictions. And you don't do that by handing an alcoholic a clean glass with a shot of bourbon in it instead of a dirty glass with a shot of shaving cream, a shaving lotion in it because it's just a better form of poison. It's just you're not solving anything. All you're doing is making it easier for them to continue in their addiction. At least that's how I see it. What do you think? I should give you the numbers. I haven't done that in a while. 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. That's 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Or you can drop me. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with what's going on on Facebook, but we're up over 60 comments now. It's not easy. Um. So what I'm trying to get at, and I, I hope I've made myself clear, and it's not about you see, you see let me let me take take that take it down this this alley. One of the reasons why I believe we don't have enough treatment facilities when you close Cedar Rapids, you close Bur- or Cedar Springs, you close Burt's Rapids, uh, you turn those people out on the streets. That's a whole element to the problem we didn't used to have to deal with. Um, but anyway, the point is, there is an industry called the victim industry that's built around this issue and several others very like very very much like it the homeless fit into this category the addicted fit into this category you know there's a whole group a whole industry and the people in it are i'm sure that most of them are very well intentioned and want to do good that's why they got into the industry in the first place but the effect of it is this they, if they ever achieved a reasonable addiction rate, if they were ever able to get it down to a number that, okay, we can put an infrastructure in place to help people who fall into this, but it's not something a lot of people have a problem with, then they're out of a job. And some of these people make some pretty good money. So ask yourself this, how hard, what kind of programs would you put in place if your future economic health depended on it? to make sure that you had a job to go to next week. If somebody said to you, you know, uh, if we do this, take this course of action, within six months we could put this to bed. Would you endorse that? How many people are that altruistic that they throw away a $100,000 a year job or bring an end to a $100,000 a year job because they fulfill their mandate? What would they do now? And that's part of the problem. The part of the problem is you have this cycle, okay? You've got a, you have a victim and somebody who wants to help the victim and somebody who becomes a victim and that person helps another victim, but the two of them, uh, they, they mesh together. One, it's a symbiotic relationship. The addict needs the counselor 
or the counselor needs the addict as much as the addict needs the counselor. It's two ways. So our whole approach to this is not healthy. Our whole approach to this, uh, to this is just wrong because we're doing it for all the wrong reasons, and we're not looking with a clear mind, with you know, with, with a real desire to help these people. And like I said, I'm, I'm being careful not to paint with too broad a brush here. I'm not trying to say that everybody who is out there trying to make a difference on the streets of this world is just a greedy left-wing lunatic who doesn't want to see his fancy lifestyle and his uh, conscious appeasing way of life come to an end. There are certainly those out there, but I'm not saying that by, by any means that everybody doing it is. But that's, what the indus- that's how the industry got created in the first place, and it's self-perpetuating. So unless and until we find a way to bring that to an end, we're going to have this problem continue, and it will probably grow. And that's the problem. If you started a if you started a foundation tomorrow, and you wanted to cure, uh, let's say you felt there was a problem with uh, one-legged leprechauns, so you started a, 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 a an organization that it was designed to build crutches and a and a leg for an extra leg for leprechauns. Okay, I'm being silly, but the, just to illustrate the point. Okay, now you achieve your goal. There's no more one-legged leprechauns. But you have an infrastructure now. You have people, you have offices, you have a fundraising mechanism, you've got people on names lists, you've got functions that go on every year to help support these poor little leprechauns, you know, uh, hobbling around on one leg. Now, when you bring that to a conclusion, what do you do now? Do you shut it all down and send everybody home? Ideally, yes. Or do you find something else? Now, maybe there's another issue out there that you can latch on to and do some good with. Okay, fine. But what happens when you do that with that issue? Maybe it's the issue that says, oh, these one-legged leprechauns, now they need two shoes. Because they got now a false leg and a real leg, we need to get them a whole pair of shoes, not just one. Okay, so now you've done that, now what? And this is how organizations become more and more radical over time, is they run out of things to do that make sense, but they don't want to kill off the organization, so they start latching on to some pretty wacky stuff. And you build a whole culture around that, and how dare you ever challenge them on it? How dare you ever say, whoa, hold it, we can't do that, because that isn't right, because that's not fair, and that's not nice. And don't you hurt my feelings by telling me my job has been completed 20 years ago, and I should have folded up my tent and gone home and found something else to do, even though that might be the truth. All right, I have a little clip here. I believe it is from, if I can make this work, I'm going to give this a try. With the way my luck's been going, it may or may not work. Let's see. This is Tucker Carlson dealing with a guy called uh, Colin Kaepernick. And (laughs) he says he's unemployed because of racism. Now, uh, if you haven't ever seen Tucker Carlson on YouTube, look him up. He's, He's worth it. I've watched enough Tucker Carlson to know that He's an expert. Uh, he's an expert at, at the ambush, although he shouldn't be. The people who want to show, they, they confess many times that they actually watch the show, know how he operates, and yet still agree to go on. And I like Tucker. I think he's very common sense. He's very much, uh, you know, just ask tough questions. He does his job, okay. And he's not like CNN. So anyway, they go on this show, and he just cuts him to pieces. 
just cuts him to pieces, and it happens every time. So, unless he's got somebody who agrees with him, he wants an explanation, you know, uh, a point explained or something like that. There's a few of those interviews, but for the most part, these are people just sticking their head in the news. He had one kid who's like 19 or 20 at a university trying to defend communism, and when he when um, uh, Tucker pointed to Venezuela and said, well, what about that? He just was educating the kid. The kid had nothing of value to say. He kept trying, well, you when you look at statistics, he says, no, you don't have to look at the statistics. Look at reality in Venezuela. They didn't even have toilet paper, and they're doing what you want to do. So he just schooled the kid. So here he is, this is Tucker Carlson. This runs about, uh, I think, about three minutes. Let me reset that, and away we go man who once sued Spike TV for stealing his first name is furious that NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick still hasn't been signed by a team. So Lee is holding a rally in support of Kaepernick outside the NFL's headquarters. Jason Whitlock is with us. And of course, uh, Fox Sports One, he joins us now. All right. First, I should tell you that's a fill-in host for Tucker. That's not him. <laughs> he was obviously off from vacation. I'll roll the rest of the clip. All right, Jason, I've heard a lot of funny things, but this is one of the funnier things I've heard in a while. So Colin Kaepernick now needs a Spike Lee boost to make it back into the NFL, which didn't spend enough time dealing with his, you know, frankly, lack of patriotism the first time around. I don't get this. Well, let's be clear here. Spike Lee is supporting this rally and has said he won't have time to actually be there, but he was the first person to tweet this out. Look, look, this is moving into a land and area that I don't think we've ever seen in sports. This invasion of progressive ideology and the progressive movement into the National Football League and sports, this to me is starting to smell like a shakedown of the NFL and NFL ownerships. Colin Kaepernick, right. the false narrative that he's out of the league because all the racists, all the owners are racist and he's being blackballed. Oh Listen, this is simply a case of a guy who's not good enough. His talents aren't good enough to justify all the attention and noise and controversy that comes along with him. Tim Tebow ran into this exact issue and now it's hit Colin Kaepernick who I am now analogizing, this is like the Tawana Brawley of football. This false narrative that we have going here that, oh, my God, all the racist and What isn't racist? But, yeah, Jason, Jason, what isn't racist today? When they start saying that Alan Dershowitz is racist, which now Maxine Waters has said because he made a comment about a D.C. grand jury, which is a factual comment. So Alan Dershowitz, vaunted liberal, is now a racist. Now, anyone who thinks Colin Listen, Kaepernick no. doesn't have a good doesn't have a good enough game is a racist. I mean, it's you know what you know what my team is. Can you guys zero in on my Alabama? See my Alabama, you know my little uh, card thing for the end, back of my phone. I'm a, I'm a college football fan more so now than an NFL fan because there's still you still you know, have prayer. You still you still fly the flag. You don't talk. They don't for the most part tolerate this political stuff in the college sports. People are tired of it. Well, I don't think the NFL wants this. They just want to play football. But yeah, this is why so. this is dangerous, in, in my opinion. Football has been incredibly good for African-American men. You bet. This, it has created more millionaires than any other industry for African-Americans. The NFL is 70% 
African-American yeah. players. We gotta go. Listen, they're trying to turn this into Hollywood and the Man, movie the, industry where black people don't get employed yeah. at this rate. Don't the become resistance. millionaires. Right. Well, that's a, it's a resistance deal, and the NFL is going to hurt itself. Uh, I appreciate it, Jason. Thanks so much. Babies are cute, but for the the top rhetoric about Trump. It's, it, it okay, so there you go. That's just what that was all about. Was this this guy called Copernicus got unemployed because he wasn't good enough? Started playing the racist card in the NFL. That's what that was all about. It's from a little while ago, but it's just amazing how far some of this stuff can go. You know, you've got people out there who will make all kinds of crazy, exact, um, excuse me, crazy uh, accusations. Uh, to cover up for their lack of skills and abilities. It's what affirmative action is all about. When you care more about outcome, outcome than you do about opportunity, then you've skewed the results before you even begin. All right, uh, let's see. No, I don't have time for a commercial, so I'm just going to finish off the show here. Uh, let's see. Tucker Carlson, this is from Joseph, and I'm just reading it raw here. I haven't had a chance to read it first. Tucker Carlson's father was a U.S. ambassador to, to the Senate. Seychelles and president of the Corporation of Public Broadcasting and director of Voice of America and his stepmother is an heiress to the Swanson family frozen food fortune. He comes from a wealthy family, etc. Okay, that's nice. Uh, I don't. I really don't worry too much about. Um, oh, he wasn't. Be, he wasn't being. I, I should read the previous comment. Uh, he, Joseph was saying that Tucker Carlson is very good, and uh, he comes from a good lineage. Because I, I frankly don't care somebody's background. What I care about is how good they are at their job. And Tucker is one of the greatest. I, if you want, if you're looking for people online to listen to other than me, um, or to go along with that, there's all kinds of people out there. Like you've got uh, Tucker Carlson, you've got Bill Whittle, you've got Rush Limbaugh, you've got Sean Hannity. You, there's a whole host of them out there. Um, you have on the Canadian side, you've got now Jordan Peterson. He's becoming a rock star. I mean, he wants to start his own um, online university. Uh, you know he's becoming effective because now Google, even though he's one of their biggest clients, certainly Canadian clients, uh, people who use their service, um, they shut his account down until there was a huge outcry. It only lasts a couple hours, but the fact they tried at all tells you that he's becoming effective because if you're not effective, they'll leave you alone. And that, you know, who cares? You know, it's like some madman standing on a box in the middle of the street screaming, the end is nigh, and everybody walks by him, doesn't pay him any attention. He can stand there all day, and nobody's going to care. But if he starts convincing people and, you know, changing people's minds, all of a sudden he starts to get some attention. So there's a whole host of people out there that you can draw a tremendous wealth of information from. Um, you pick whoever you like. Uh, some people like Ben Shapiro some people like him, some people don't and that's true, no matter what personality you pick you're going to have people on either side of the fence it's like cars there are all kinds, of, for every car make there are fans and there are people who hate them like I do not, and nothing against the Ford Motor Company, but personally I don't like Fords <clears throat> I don't like the way they're put together, I don't like the way they drive that's just me Okay, there's millions of people who would heartily disagree with me on whether or not they like a Ford, let's say an F-150, okay? I prefer the Chev. Uh, when it comes to cars, I like Hondas. When it comes to, um, you know, big trucks, I like the Internationals. Um, you know, it's, it all depends on personal taste. And the same thing is true with these, these different pundits and these different hosts. Uh, all of them have something to share, 
and you just go find the one that suits you the best. And hopefully more often than not, that's yours truly. All right. With that said, uh, I know it's hard to believe, but that pretty much is two hours. I just want to see if there's anything else I, I skipped over, so that was Vern. Uh, let's see. Oh, the Toronto cop. Yeah, there was a cop in Toronto. Just I've got about two minutes left here. Um, who Actually, Toronto Police Constable Niran... Oh, God. Jayanasan, I believe is how you say it. Um, was called to arrest a guy who was got caught shoplifting. The long and the story, the long and short of the story is this kid, the, the guy who was doing, who did the stealing, uh, was trying to get to a job interview. So he went to Walmart to try to steal a shirt and a tie and got caught. So rather than run this kid through the mill, um, the police officer in question here, Niran, uh, they did take him down to the station house, but he went and he bought the kid uh, the shirt and the tie and gave it to him. Now, that was exactly the right way to deal with it. This is why, uh, generally speaking, I am a big supporter of our police forces because these people are intelligent. They do a really hard job, but they have hearts. They're, they're, and there's plenty of stories out there about, um, <clears throat> about different policemen going out of their way to really underline the serve part of their mandate. Okay, there's, everybody knows they can arrest you. Everybody knows they can be, you know, they, get, they take a lot of crap from people for situations that they don't deserve. Like if you're blasting down the highway and you get a speeding ticket, don't yell at the cop. Yell at your right foot. You know, it's not his fault you went blowing by at 179 million miles an hour. That's your fault. So whenever I've been pulled over by the police, I've always tried to be polite. And yes, some of them carry it too far. But you know what? That's the exception, not the rule. So congratulations to uh, Constable Neron. That was, that's a great story. It's posted on my Facebook page if you want to read the whole thing. Uh, let's see. I think that was pretty much about it. All right, so with that said, I'm going to bow tonight, and I'll see you all again next week. In the meantime, we'll be Caritas et Amor. Deus ibi est. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace, and may you have a fair wind and a following sea. I had, I spent it in good company, and all the harm. I've ever done Alas it was to none but me And all I've done For want of wit To memory now I can't recall So fill to me Parting glass, good night and joy be to you all. So fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whatever befalls. Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that it I had, they're sorry for my going away. 
And all the sweethearts that e'er I had That wish me one more day to stay But since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you Yeah.